0: long enough to to ride a storm out and realize why you needed to it's amazing how when you're going through it you never think so but on the other side you're like thank you because i see you differently i see you greater now your mind, give us your eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm sure you've never made this statement that there are things that you did as a teenager that you regret, right? Like none, nobody has, nobody did dumb things as teenagers, and they right, I'm the only one, correct? Right, judging by the little chuckles, some of you are so embarrassed, a few years you need to go to acknowledge the statement. But for whatever reason, I don't really know why, Probably because we were just influenceable. But um, when I was in youth, I was probably 14 years old, 15 years old. Um, That was in the early 2000, 2000, 2001, something like that. Um, For some reason, techno was like the thing to listen to in our youth group. I don't know why. But it's like rave music. We didn't rave, but for some reason, techno was the thing. And that's awful music. If you like techno, I'm sorry. I'm a musician. (laughs) Anyway, but... And I remember we used to listen to it and we'd like hang out or whatever. And, and anyway, I'm driving home from youth one night. I'm riding with somebody, and there's three of us in the vehicle. And it's a, one of the leaders in the youth group and myself, and we're listening to some techno song. We're all like, this is so great. What? And, um, and the guy in the back seat says, hey, can you turn this off? And we're like, why? This is really cool music. Like, what are you talking about? Why would you turn it off? It's like, can you turn it off? We're, we're, like, it's not saying anything bad. It's, not, like, it's literally just noise from a computer. Like, this isn't a problem. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I was taking ecstasy to stuff like this three weeks ago. Can't turn it off. And then immediately we're both like, oh, my gosh. We're terrible people. We're all different parts of the body, right? And so that also means that we're all different types of people, so our sanctification looks different. You've heard me give the analogy. If you call me from the airport and I'm at Devil crow fishing and you say, hey, meet at Lakeside Mall, please, and i'm coming to meet you our our journey will look fundamentally different like we took two completely different routes and two completely different places but we'll end up at the same spot where god saved you and where god saved me were likely two very different places yet he's leading us to the same place which is the image of his son and so in that process my life will look different than yours and your life will look different than mine but We're all part of the same body. You may be the eyes. I might be the legs. We're both part of the same body. But we're probably going to argue over what's more important, sunglasses or pants. If you're the eyes and I'm the legs. Legs don't care about sunglasses and eyes probably don't need pants. I don't know. Eyes might actually choose pants over sunglasses. I'm not sure. But the whole point is, is that there are going to be things that you are like, oh, this is nothing. That I'm like, that is like murder. And the whole point is is that a lot of times in church what leads to drama and issues and gossip and slander and clicks and offenses is these exact things we're talking about right now this morning is the decisions that we have and we make in our personal lives and so this morning we're going to talk about what does god say about all this to hopefully get some truth to the matter and be able to live and honor god amen open your bibles to first corinthians chapter 10 when brother rath preached last week he left me in a perfect, perfect spot. Before I read this, I wanna give you one context here. Paul in 1 Corinthians eight in 1 Corinthians 10 and in Romans 14, Paul is addressing food being sacrificed to idols. That's what he's addressing, but he uses that situation to address the broader subject of Christian liberty and so his example is food here but i need to make you understand something repeat after me he's talking about food right food when he's not talking about anything controversial he's talking about food like that's about as basic of a thing that you can discuss is food i know in louisiana that's, a, that's a not necessarily basic that's a very opinionated thing in louisiana but In the context of life, food is something we all need and we all eat and we all have different preferences. If I eat pizza after 6 p.m., I do not sleep. Some of you can eat pizza at 2 a.m. and sleep like a baby. I cannot do that. It's okay. Your body likes you better than mine, I guess. I don't know. But let's read this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. I want to read just to you in the NIV because I'm a reference them both back and forth today. Put the NIV one up for me. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Oh, it's going to be fun. In Christ, we have freedom from sin. Sin has been fundamentally defeated and destroyed by the power of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, he legitimately meant the power of sin is finished, having control over anyone who is in me. And so when we read the New Testament, we see so much of Paul saying Galatians 5, 1 says, it is for freedom Christ set us free. What that means is that we as Christians are to be the definition of what freedom is. America, as great as it is, is not the definition of freedom. The redeemed believer is the definition of freedom. Why? Because I do not have to do the things that my flesh wants to do. That's how you summarize all of it in one sentence. I am no longer bound to doing what my flesh wants to do. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. Therefore, Paul is saying anything's lawful, right? Anything. Why? Because they're all things. It's just a thing. Well, Pastor Chris, what do you mean by that? Let's let's dive. I got, we're going to look at the three statements from this first one. We're going to really dive into it. The first one is all things are lawful. Pastor Chris, that's a, that's a pretty... Pretty bold statement to make all things are lawful. Well, first off, we have to understand something when Paul is writing, Paul is writing with an implied understanding. What he means by that is he is understanding that you know that this statement does not mean murder is lawful. He's understanding that you know he's writing this with the preconceived idea that I don't have to explain to you that sexual immorality is wrong, that murder is wrong, that. That idolatry is wrong, that sin is wrong. What you have today is you have people that will take this verse of scripture and apply the grace of God for the sinner and take the grace of God and try and apply it to the sin. And say that because all things are lawful, I can do what I want because I'm in Christ. And I'm free from sin, all things are lawful now we obviously know that that is not the case look at romans 6 verse 1 and 2 what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound certainly not how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it y'all you got to realize paul was writing to people who think that that there's some pervading The gospel is so new and Christianity is so new at this point in time. So there are people who are actually preaching that I need to sin to show people how good the grace of God is. I need to go continue in this so I could show people how good the grace of God is. And you're like, that is so insane. It's okay. Half of us do it. Don't even realize it. What I mean is we go and we do things we know we're not supposed to do. And then we come to church and we cry about how good and gracious God is. And then we wonder why we're in this cycle of depression and shame and guilt and condemnation. It's because we're living under some bad theology. When it says here, shall we say, then shall we continue in sin? No, sin is sin. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians believing that they know sin is wrong. So before we go any further in this message, can we all agree that sin is wrong? Okay, good, just making sure, just making sure. Now, let me, let me, let me break this down for you a little bit. Certain secular songs are not sinful. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. My wife and I's first dance at our wedding was At Last by Etta James. Why? Because we dated six and a half years, which felt like six and a half decades. And when we got married, if you've ever heard the recording of the song, it's like the very pretty string intro and it gets silent and she goes, at last, right? Well, when, when that phrase was sung, we got an applause from the reception. They're like, you know, like, people are like, no, legitimately, at last, they're finally married. We had people who were waiting to schedule vacations with us because we wouldn't take trips with them because we weren't married, right? Because we were honoring the Lord. It was, and, and when, I, when that song comes on right now, is that a worship song? No. Is it, a, is it a sinful song? No. Why? Because I can sit back and listen to Etta James sing at last, and all I'm thinking about is how God sent me my wife, and at last, we waited six and a half years, honored God, and he gave her to me, and she's mine. I'm not sinning. I'm enjoying my marriage at that moment in time. Here's another one that is not sin. Ready? Ready? A glass of wine is not sin. I sat down with a cardiologist that had some chest pains a while back, we were, uh, we were concerned because of my, my family's heart history. Like, everybody, like the whole tree, not just a couple branches, the whole tree got heart issues. And so I started having these chest pains, and then I went to the hospital. They did the full cardiac workup on me, the whole nine yards. to so come to find out, I was having what's called esophageal spasms, which mimic heart attack symptoms because of where the spasm takes place. It feels exactly like a heart attack. And since I know all the symptoms of a heart attack from my dad and my grandfather, I'm like, I'm having a heart attack. Anyway, meeting with the cardiologist, the guy tells me, hey, you really need to consider adding a glass of red wine to one or two meals in the evening for the sake of your heart health because of the history. Well, my first response was, that's sin. I'm not having an ounce of alcohol in my mouth. I picked up the phone and called two different ministers and said, hey, this is, the, this is what I was just diagnosed or, like, recommended by my doctor to do. What do I do? And, he, and they, we began to break it down that what the Bible actually says. I never read it. I literally never studied it, ever. That no, a glass of red wine is not sin. It says here in where's the verse Ephesians 5.18, do not drink or indulge in drunkenness, which leads to debauchery, rather, we fill with the spirit. Right? So the glass of red wine is not sin. That some of y'all are getting a little antsy. It's okay. Let me preach. Keep hanging with me. A saints game is not sin. But Galatians 5.21 puts wild parties in the list of sins of the flesh. So if you can go to a saints game and not become a buffoon, you can go to a saints game. These things are not sin. What happens is when we get saved and we come to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And y'all need to hear me on this. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and begins to change us by changing the way we think. Romans 12, two, we begin to be transformed into the image of who Christ has died for us to be. And he begins changing us. And we begin laying down our old man and picking up the new man and we begin becoming a new person. And then what the the enemy does is he waits and he watches. And as we begin transforming, and as we begin being more like Christ, he begins to send the spirit of religion after us, which then causes which hijacks our sanctification process. He, he literally, it's like a, like a like a carjacking. He hijacks it and changes it from I'm being sanctified into the image of Christ into no, I'm just being holier than everybody else around me. And what ends up happening is he takes the freedom that we have in Christ. His whole goal is to get you back under law because if he can get you back under law, there will be no joy in your Christianity. There will be no love and no laughter and no light because Christianity will be boring, right? when I've always said Christianity is not boring, you are. He's not boring. Religion is boring because all the joy gets sucked out. I'm doing motions, I'm doing a checklist. And I remember life, I felt better in the world. It's a backward attempt to get you back to who you used to be because he removes all the joy. He hijacks the sanctification process. And so it says here that all things are lawful. Repeat after me, it is okay. To have fun, it is not okay to sin. All right, now point two, all things are not helpful. Oh, Jesus. Put up the verse in the, the New King James for me. <clears throat> I, when I was studying this yesterday, I, I I noticed something I've never known noticed before. Put up. 1 Corinthians 10 23 in the New King James. I know you all got it. It's the there you go. That's the NIV. Put up the New King James. The one above that one, she said. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Now put up the NIV for me. That's the that is. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I have but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Do me a favor and 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 think like an English student for a second. Do you notice those quotation marks? If you go to the New King James, there are no quotation marks in the verse. Put it back up for me. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. So it reads different when you add the quotation marks. And the way I study the Bible, I'm like, hold up. One's got quotation marks and one doesn't. That changes the way you read it. So I went down a wormhole Friday morning. I mean, I had all the study Bibles out. I had all the commentaries out. I had the commentaries on the computer. I went to town. on finding out why some have quotations and some don't. And I, f- I figured it out. I found it. All of, Just about all the commentaries and all the writers say that Paul here is not making the statement and I, all things are lawful, not all things are helpful, as if just a teaching moment. Like, all things are good, but eh. No, what he's doing is he's actually in a sense sarcastically mocking the mindset of the corinthian church in the in in corinth at this time there was a massive push of what's called hedonism hedonism is the exaltation of the of of the of the flesh where the primary goal in life is for the flesh to be pleasured at all times so you just give your flesh whatever it wants and there were people in, in corinth in the corinthian church who were trying to teach in addition to the gospel, because this happened all over the early church, people adding things from the culture around to the gospel, they were adding a hedonistic nature to the gospel in this context. I need to give my flesh whatever it wants so that I look happiest, I look the most joyful, and I'm the best example of, of, of the gospel. And so what Paul is saying is all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. You say all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Paul is quoting them and then canceling out their own argument. There are so many people who build bad doctrinal basis for doing what they want to do on this verse of Scripture because they just never studied it. Now, in the NIV, it says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. You do realize we have rights that are not biblical, right? Right now in Ohio, this past week, they passed a law that they are are reinstituting abortion rights up to 22 to 24 weeks. They're still debating it. It, The Ohio House passed it. It's got to go to the other side or whatever. They got to vote on it again. But, But it's pretty much passed in Ohio that you can murder a baby in the womb at 22 to 24 weeks. And women will have the right in Ohio to do that. Just because you have the right doesn't make it right. So what Paul is saying is you have the right to do whatever you want, but it doesn't make it right to do whatever you want. And what what, what we have to realize is that as Christians, the moment we cross from honoring God and loving God and serving God into self-justification is the moment we move from before Eve ate the apple after she ate the apple. Because if you go to the garden, the serpent comes and tempts her with the fruit. I mean, it's not an apple, it's fruit, but but all the kids' pictures, if I was growing up, it was an apple, forgive me. She eats the fruit. She says, oh, I was pleasing to the eyes, and it tastes good. She gave some to her husband, and then their eyes are open. They thought they were naked. They sewed themselves coverings out of fig leaves, and then God came down to cool the day, and he said, "Who did this. And Adam says, with well, that woman you gave me, like every guy, it's her fault. And then the wife says, "No, no, no, it was the steak." Self-justification. I didn't. I'm not as wrong as everybody else. I'm. I'm not. I'm not wrong. Look at that person. Look. 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 look, look, look about them? What about them right there? Yeah, but you ate the fruit. Yeah, but they ate it first. Hmm. Anytime I begin to move into self-justification, you cannot self-justify without accusing. And the moment I start accusing, I have picked up the vernacular of the enemy. That's how he talks. He's the accuser of the brethren. And I learned this long ago. I'm pretty sure it was Brother Carl who said it, but I'm not positive. But I was sitting in a meeting, and I'm pretty sure I heard him say, you're accusing. That's what the devil does. He accuses whenever you have to look at someone and say, yeah, well, Nick, you're wrong. Yeah, but it's lawful. I don't care if it's lawful. It is no longer producing the character of Christ in you. And sure, it may be lawful, but it's not beneficial. Well, Pastor Chris, what do you mean by beneficial? I don't, I don't. help me understand here. What does it mean? Beneficial, beneficial. Thank you for asking. Look at number three. It's not about us. It's not about us. Now look at verse 24. First Corinthians 10, 23, and 24. It says all things are lawful, not all things beneficial, all things are lawful, not all things edify. Go to verse 24, it's at the bottom. Let no one seek his own, but each one the others, well being. Years ago, I was doing a youth leadership thing, and I was asked by a youth pastor. You ever had the Holy Spirit hijack your mouth, and then he says something, and they go, i got to write that down? This this happened. I was getting asked at a youth conference one time. I was asked a question. How can you define spiritual maturity in a sentence? And I'm like, a sentence. And you're going to ask me this with no prep time. Thanks. I appreciate it. And the Holy Spirit said spiritual maturity is when you view things through the lens, make sure I say it right, the lens of maturity and not the lens of liberty. When I view life, when I view situations through the lens of maturity versus the lens of liberty. Let let no one seek his own but each other's well. Being, Look at 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Remember what I said in the beginning, Paul is using food as the example. Keep going. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, you have knowledge, meaning you know the truth about the kingdom, you know the truth about the gospel. <clears throat> I, need to, I need to make sure I need to drive this home. I want to make, I'm, I'm trying to be very particular this morning. Having knowledge, eating. What Paul means there is Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that eating food sacrificed to an idol is irrelevant to him because he knows idols aren't real. So he doesn't care if it's offered to an idol or not. It's food. And God already said, call no thing unclean that I've called clean. So Paul is, is – Having the understanding that this idol here is there's nothing in it, so I can eat it because it'll bother me. However, seeing you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? What he's saying is if, but if somebody sees you who they know are mature eating here, will not embolden them to do the same. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish, keep going, for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. If my life causes someone else to stumble, I am in sin. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That right there is Christian maturity. I will never again eat meat if it if it causes somebody to stumble. So, yeah, all things are lawful. But a mature Christian doesn't think that way. A mature Christian says, Hey, but what's helpful? What's constructive? What's beneficial? What edifies? That's what we filter our decisions and our comments and our movie theater choices to and the music we listen to and the conversations we tolerate and the places that we go and the things we participate in. It's not the fact I can because I'm free in Christ. No, because I'm free in Christ, I'm not gonna give into my flesh so that'll cause somebody else to stumble. My dad gets saved in 1977 and in early 1978, he's been going to youth for a couple of, going to the youth group at the church, the Tabernacle and for a couple of weeks. Maybe, I think he said like two months. And my dad was in the nightclubs. He was doing drugs. He was doing all kinds of things. And he gets saved and he goes to youth and he's really trying to kick the habits, but he's struggling and he'd still smoke a little weed here. There, would still smoke a cigarette, still drink a little bit, stuff like that. But he was really trying to give up the, the, the sin nature that he was so attached to. And one night he had a bad week at work and he made a decision to go out to a nightclub. He went to a disco. That's how long ago this was. <clears throat> And he said he walked in and he was feeling convicted the whole time, but he went and he was really struggling. He was having a terrible time. And as he's about to leave, he looks out on the dance floor and sees a member of the youth group who was the leader on the dance floor with a joint in his hand, a drink in this one, dancing with two women. And my dad's like, go not and give me another one. And one action by one person sent my dad on a three-month binge back into his flesh because of one decision. And I guarantee you, if you talk to Brother So and So, he was saying, "Well, I mean, it's all—it's lawful for me. I just had one drink. I—I just—I I just, I just took—I just took one joint. It, it's lawful for me. It, it's uh, uh, uh. yeah. That's not mature." Christianity, and I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to stay milk-fed. I'm not trying to stay the Christian that everybody has to keep their eyes on, like the toddler at the party, you got to make sure to run the street. I don't want to be that Christian 10 years into my walk with the Lord. Pastor Derek used to always say, babies having a bottle are cute, but it's a problem, You got to move the mustache to get the bottle in. And there are Christians who've been serving Jesus so long, they got spiritual facial hair and are still drinking milk. No, I live to honor him. And the way that I honor him the most is by living my life in such a way that I'm conscious of whoever is around me for the well-being of others. Because it matters. It matters. I grew up, and all we listened to was life songs when I was a kid. 89.1 FM, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And when I started playing guitar, I was 14. My dad felt it was his parental obligation to let me listen to what actual good guitar playing is. And so for the sake of my musicianship, I started, he started letting me listen to Boston and Leonard Skinner and Bad Company. And I don't, I have no memories of this in the world, zero. But I'm listening to Freebird and me like, I want to play guitar like that one day. Good Lord. And so I started learning to play guitar and I have learned, I've actually used things I've learned from learning that music in worship. Because I have no attachment, my sin nature has no attachment to any of that stuff. One time me and my dad are riding together and I, I used to put it on because it's something we would connect to over the guitar work and things like that. And one day, my dad's been serving the Lord since 1977. This is probably 2013. We're in the car together. This is 40-something years. <clears throat> and I had some song on it. And he said, hey, can you turn that off? And I said, why? He said, for some reason, I'm remembering how loaded I was when I saw them live. This is 40-something years later. Sure. I didn't know. Skip. Went to something else. Why? Yes. I am not more important than his well-being. I am not more important than your walk with the Lord, my personal liberty. But see, there's one more layer here to this. See, it's not only about, do. yes, sure, I can do things, but should I? Does it benefit you? Can you handle doing those things, or does it bring you too close to who you used to be? Second of all, the people that you're watching, people that are around you, people that, that are connected to you. Does it bring them close to who they used to be? But there's a third one. Imagine if when I'm getting married to my wife, I'd tell her, baby, I love you so much. And I went in vows and I, I promise that I'm not gonna date any more women. Amen. And I, I promise, baby, that I'm gonna put all the trash in the trash can. And 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 I'm gonna put clothes on every day. Wouldn't you think that those are like assumed things that would happen? Like, baby, I'm marrying you. I shouldn't have to tell my wife when I marry her, I'm not gonna date other women. Right? Why do we serve God that way? Lord. I'm not going to sin no more. I'm going to do my best to not sin. It should come with the deal. When I give my life to God, when Jesus comes and becomes king in my heart and Lord of my life, I should live my life to honor and glorify him, right? Like I shouldn't be trying to do things that are sinful. Duh. There are so many Christians that get saved and like, I ain't going to drink no more. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to get drunk no more. Praise God. Congratulations, round of applause. That's expected. But you see, what my wife really enjoys is when I have the chance to go hunting or fishing, and I say, no thanks, I'm going to take her on a date. When I take something I have liberty to do, and I lay it down for her sake. See, you want to know what it truly means to be in love with Jesus? It's not that you stop sinning. That should come with it. What truly demonstrates your love for the Lord is when you take the things that you can do and you lay them down for him. When I take the things that he's fine with me doing and I lay them down for him. I love watching documentaries. I can watch World War II documentaries all day long, every day, and never get bored, ever. This literally, I might take a nap, but I'll never get bored. Sit in one place long enough, I'm going to fall asleep. Watch it all day long. And there's no sin in that. Half the time, half my sermon analogies are either stuff of my dad and deer hunting or World War II. But what I can do is I can delete Netflix for a month and devote every moment that I would normally give to a World War II documentary, I can give it to the Lord, I can get in prayer, I can go to sleep early and get up early, and spend more time around. I can read a book, I can read the word, I can grow in him. I can put aside the things that I have liberty to do to spend more time with him because as we sang this morning, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tent of the wicked. One thing I ask, one thing I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to inquire in his temple and to gaze upon his beauty. I want him. I want more of him. I want more of him today than I had yesterday and more of him tomorrow than I have today. And there will come a point in time when if I really want more of Jesus, I've got to decrease so that he may increase. And some of you are saying, I'm not really getting more of Jesus. Well, have you gotten less of you yet? Well, I don't know what else to do. Start going through the things that are lawful. Start going through the things that you're doing that are not wrong, but they're not beneficial. When I was doing the youth camps for NRP, I still, when I, I'm, I still go, so I still do this. But if, if camp starts on the 22nd of July, on the 22nd of June, I'd get rid of all entertainment. Cut it all out. And in my truck, I only have my instrumental worship music on that I pray to every morning. I don't watch anything. I'm in the word or I'm in prayer for a silent month. Why? Because there are kids coming from all across the South and need to encounter the Holy Spirit. And I wanna be the vessel they do that through. And so I'm gonna lean into him as much as I possibly can to be a conduit for his power to work through me. Some of you are wanting God to move in your workplace. How about you step back from the things that you can do and give more time to him. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. A couple of years ago, we had a situation we were praying through as a ministry and brother Carl says, we're having a meeting at my house on such and such a date. Don't come if you haven't fasted a week. But guess what I did? Food is lawful, food is good. Food is sometimes a problem because we eat too much of it. But food is something that we need to do every day. But I put aside food that was lawful. I put that aside to have more of Jesus. And y'all, the problem I'm noticing is that we have lost our hunger for the things of God at any expense. We have lost the desire when was the last time he blew my mind reading scripture? When was the last time he overwhelmed me in my prayer closet on a Thursday morning? When was the last time that I walked into church not needing anything to get me in the mood to worship? Because when I got up, he was already by my bedside because he's been by my bedside every morning all week. When have we, when will we get back to loving and following Jesus with every ounce of who we are and stop trying to figure out how much of the world we can keep and still be right with God rather than how much of God can I have while still being stuck on the earth? I want him. And so if something lawful is keeping me from him, something I can do, but it's not benefiting me, why? See, there's some of you, that you're struggling moving forward in maturity with Christ. Because there's something that is lawful for you, but it connects you to who you used to be. Cut it off. Music is a big one because we like music attach it. It's like smell. Music attaches itself to memories. When I hear the song, Do What You Want, of the brass band song, some of y'all know what song is, big Mardi Gras song. When I hear that song, it takes me back, actually, to high school. But secondly, it takes me back to the moment he apprehended me in the middle of St. Charles Avenue during Endemion. I can close my eyes. When I hear the song, I can close my eyes, and I can tell you what I felt like. After marching from City Park all the way to St. Charles, I was tired. I had a big old bruise on my leg from the horn hitting me the whole time. Like, like, I could tell you very vivid details of it because of the music attached to it. Some of you have music in your phone, your playlist, that brings you right back to the club 10 years ago. Brings you right back. You have TV shows that, that bring up the sense of humor that you buried when you, got, when you became alive in Christ. And we wonder why we keep bringing these things back up. No, cut it. It's not worth it. And I can promise you this. Not only will he bring other things into your life to bring you joy and to bring you satisfaction and to bring you fulfillment, but he will become the joy. He will become the satisfaction. He will become the fulfillment. I was on a Zoom call this week and they had a pastor on one of the other guys on the call crying because he said there used to be a day and time when he was my hobby. When I had free time, I would dive in my word and spend an hour in the word and just get my mind blown because he was my hobby. I'm not saying that you gotta cut everything out of your life today and become a monk. If that's what God calls you to do, go for it. Just don't wear the robe everywhere. It's weird. What I am gonna say, what I am gonna say is this. If he's first, stop living for what's lawful and live for what's beneficial. Pastor Chris, I thought this was about personal convictions. It is. I'm personally convicted that I don't get any. I don't get any. I live to honor him, period. And if I'm with Jamie, and I've been serving the Lord longer than Jamie, and I know there's things that she's walking through, I'm not going to get anything near the thing she's walking through, even though it might not bother me at all. You got to realize it took me 20 years of serving Jesus to get to the point where I understood that cursing, I didn't curse, but understood that cursing was offensive to God because I grew up in hunting camps and they sometimes say other words that aren't profanity in hunting camps. And so when a movie would be on and they'd be dropping F-bombs every 10 minutes, it did. It literally was just like, oh, whatever. It, I, didn't, I was numb to it because I heard it so much. And finally, when I get the revelation on Ephesians 4 where it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, that's unwholesome talk. And I'm realizing, well, that actually offends him. And if I'm sitting there listening to it, I'm acknowledging and endorsing something that offends the one who died for me. That's Christian maturity. I recognize I need to stay away from that. I can be around it and not judge you if you're doing it and you're still working through it or it's a lost person. I'm not going to expect a lost stop person. It doesn't make me like, oh, I can't be around them. That's the spirit of religion. But I'm not going to tolerate it because I want to honor him. I want to live for him. So what does God say about personal convictions? What he says is honor me. And if we can make every decision through the lens of spiritual maturity and not through Christian liberty, watch how much easier it is to share your faith with people, to love people, to not find yourself in simply, I'm not in any more drama. I'm not nearly as much issue as I used to be. Why? Because I love him. And you'll find he just shows up. Yesterday morning I got up, we had a wedding the night before, so. All four kids slept on Nana's, and I woke up, and I was going to work on the message, to finish it yesterday morning, which is late. I'm usually done by Thursday, so I was up yesterday morning. I got up, and normally, right, you go get in your prayer closet, and you, you've experienced this where you got to get in your prayer closet, and you got to kind of get it going. It, it, it like it, it might be a little rough. I woke up, and when I got to the coffee pot, the Holy Spirit hit me. Could have been the coffee, but. I put my AirPods in, and I sang in the spirit for 90 minutes yesterday morning. I'm talking me and Jesus had a moment yesterday morning that beats just about every church service I've ever been in because it was me and him at my back patio. I was supposed to be studying, and I wasn't studying. I was studying him. I was enjoying him. What could I have been doing? I could have slept in. It's not sinful. I could have watched a documentary. I could have had breakfast with my wife. I could have went for a walk. I could have went and met somebody for the church for breakfast. I could have done all of those things, and none of them would have been wrong. But in that particular moment, I said, I want to be with him. And so I laid down what I could do for something I should do. and He met me. If you want him to meet you, maybe lay down something you can do. And give it to him. Would you bow your heads this morning? You may be here today and you may be saying, Pastor Chris, this is another one of the messages that doesn't have a lay hands on response. This is a you got to get up and walk it out response. You may be here saying Pastor Chris I've I have been living my life based upon what's lawful and not what's beneficial and not what's helpful. I've been living my life based upon what I can do and not by what I should do. I've been living my life to the point and you know what I've been finding myself a little bit like my old man. I've been I've been starting to notice some 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 BC tendencies some before Christ tendencies in in my attitudes in my heart in my responses in, in thoughts that are crossed. I've been noticing some old me and we just got to repent to say, Jesus like I, I I need I need more of you I need to give my life to you I need to put what's beneficial and helpful at the Forefront of my decision making Secondly you may be here this morning and you may be on the other side of things. You may be that 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 critical religious type spirit. You may be the person that that is so wound up pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. That you you you've crossed over from self-justification into full-blown religious critical spirit. and you're you're now in accusation. Well, this one does that, and that one does this. You got to repent there too. Because the last thing I want to do is sound like the enemy of my soul. We got to repent from that. And see, I could give an altar call right now, and we could pray for you, and and we could have a, a time of ministry with the Lord, but I really believe that you need to get up today. And, and do an inventory of your personal life, do an inventory of your heart, do an inventory of your mind, and, and be able to say, you know what, I got, I got to get some permissible, some, some lawful things out of my life because they're not helping me glorify the Lord. So I want to pray for you this morning, whichever one you are.